Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. This year has gone by incredibly quickly, but it's always nice to pause and take stock. What's something you're proud of in 2024 so far? What's something you still want to accomplish this year? I know I'm guilty of falling into a routine and not always thinking about the bigger picture, but as the great Ferris Bueller once said, life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and look around once in a while, you can miss it. So it's crucial to take a moment to celebrate your wins and make adjustments for the rest of the year. Therapy can help you contextualize your progress and set achievable goals for the next six months. As you surely know by now, it's not only for people who have experienced major trauma. Therapy is helpful in all kinds of ways, including learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. If you've been considering trying therapy, check out BetterHelp. It's fully online and was specifically designed to be flexible and customizable to your schedule. To get started, just fill out a brief questionnaire that matches you up with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Take a moment. Visit BetterHelp.com FilmDaily today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash film daily. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for September 10th, 2018. On today's episode, we're going to discuss the latest film and TV news, and in our feature presentation, we're going to be joined by Chris Evangelista to talk about what he's been seeing at the Toronto International Film Festival. Before we get into that, though, uh, my name is Ben Pearson. I'm the senior writer at SlashFilm.com, and I am joined today by managing editor Jacob Hall. Hello, hello. And writer Huay Tran Bui. Hey, everyone. All right, guys, so let's jump into the news. Jacob, tell us what's going on with The Nun and how that's performing at the box office. Uh, despite its scathing reviews, The Nun opened to $53.5 million in the United States, which is the biggest opening for a movie set in the Conjuring universe. And what I think is the bigger news here, it pushed the entire Conjuring universe over $1.1 billion at the worldwide box office, making it the biggest R-rated horror franchise in history that tops Halloween, Nightmare on Elm Street, Friday the 13th, which is kind of extraordinary. I mean, there are bigger franchises that are PG-13, but for one that's purely R-rated, purely horror, this is like a success story. This is a the cinematic universe model applied to horror, and it's really kind of thrilling to see that happen because I'm actually a big fan of the Conjuring movies, and I am the only fan in the world of The Nun, which I really enjoyed. I, 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 I said as an aside, I said on Twitter, and I stand by this fact, if somebody made a Hammer-themed RPG 
and then adapted their campaign sessions into a movie, it would feel like the nun. And that's my that's my niche. That's exactly what I like. So I'm happy to see it successful, even if everyone else in the world hates it. So Jacob, uh, real quick on that point, why do people hate this movie, and and what is it about it specifically that uh, that makes it very much a you type of film? Uh, everybody is harping on the jump scares. Everybody's harping on how silly it is, how preposterous it is. How uh, I've heard toothless said a lot. I've heard lame said a lot. And I guess it just feels like people are just just think it's silly and forgettable and fluffy and has nothing going for it. But for me, and this is Corn Hardy, the director, made a movie called The Hollow that I really love. And I feel like he he's a uh, a English filmmaker, uh, and he maybe he's he's from the UK. He's from the, he's from that region, and you can tell he grew up watching his region's horror movies, uh, particularly uh, as it, as I mentioned a moment ago, Hammer films. You know the old. Peter Cushing, Christopher Lee horror films from the 50s, 60s, and 70s have a very, very particular aesthetic. And that aesthetic is fog, graveyards, castles, um, men in suits um, looking very serious as as undead happening <laughs> things happen around them. And this is the kind of movie where uh, Demon Bashir, the extremely uh, talented Mexican character actor, uh, playing completely seriously, stands in a graveyard and looks befuddled at all kinds of horror shenanigans happening around him. And that, for me, injected into my veins, Ben. I want <laughs> Damien Bashir in Foggy Graveyards for days. And without spoiling too much, the, the third act of this movie is literally um, this toughened, grizzled priest, the um, newcomer nun who's just taken her vows, and a shotgun-toting Frenchman venturing into the bowels of a castle using torches to explore the catacombs so you can find an ancient relic to seal a portal to hell. That It's literally a D&D movie with, uh, as, if, as if, like, hacked to be a Hammer movie. It is it, it is so specifically me that I don't blame anybody else for not liking this, but, man, it is... It, it's... Oh, I just want to do a little chef's kiss. A chef's kiss um, <laughs> gif right here. So I'm, 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 I'm the only one in the world that's happy and thrilled to see this movie be a massive success. Uh, H2, does this sound like a movie that you're gonna check out jacob's actually kind of selling me on it now i was i wasn't really interested in watching it in the first place because i actually haven't seen any of the conjuring movies and i probably would have started from the beginning uh, in the first place to see if i liked them but um yeah i was not really like i didn't have an interest in it but now it it sounds it sounds quite fantastical and i i I think I might check it out. Well, once I see all the other Conjuring movies well, at that's, some point. Yeah, that's actually what I was going to ask you, Jacob. Did, uh, is previous knowledge required, or can you just go into this one without having seen the other ones? Not required. Uh, the opening scene features footage in The Conjuring 2, where the nun, the villain of the movie, is introduced. And then the uh, final scene bookends the nun uh, into the first Conjuring in a way that fans will appreciate. Uh, in the same way that Annabelle Creation, uh, the second Annabelle movie, had a really clever backdoor into how all this nonsense fits into the Annabelle movies and how that fits into The Conjuring. All the puzzle pieces do come together in ways that actually are satisfying if you do watch the movies in order. In HG, um, The Conjuring 1 and 2 are legit great. Like, we can take or leave Annabelle or The Nun. I, I, I'm willing to say those are good or bad based on your preferences. But Conjuring 1 and 2 are legit good, and I think you'd get a kick out of them. Yeah. I think I might skip the Annabelle movies just because dolls do creep me out personally, but I am very <laughs> interested in The Conjuring because I know it's based off of a real-life paranormal investigating couple, and I, that's 
my shit and i love that so i'm interested to see those movies at least yeah i saw the first one and it is uh it's terrifying i was like legitimately frightened while watching it and i have i was actually so scared that i have not gotten around to watching the second conjuring movie yet so maybe i'll <laughs> i'll grow a pair one of these days and, and finally get around to doing that um hc let's talk about something that is uh i guess i mean i, I feel like you're on the the sexual misconduct beat at slash film you always yeah. sort of like the the way the chips fall is that you're always the one who happens to write about these it's all random but uh but yeah tell us about the latest uh i guess the the fall of another network head um what's going on yes so cbs ceo les moonves uh has resigned from his position following a second report uh dictating his sexual assault and sexual sexual harassment allegations after a first report of uh, allegations were published in July, both from The New Yorker by Ronan Farrow. So um, after the first report was published in July, uh, in which six women and several other cases were documented about uh, Les Moonves having a history of sexual misconduct and CBS having a sort of culture uh, which in which this was essentially allowed to happen, um, was uh, surfaced in July. It um, CBS put this under investigation, and Moonves has essentially stayed at his position at CBS, uh, sort of negotiating his exit compensation, which was reported to be about a hundred million dollars. But now that this second report has um, arrived this weekend, uh, Moonves resigned almost immediately, three hours after the um, report was published, and uh, the. A compensation um, pay was essentially uh, voided, and uh, CBS announced that it would be donating $20 million to the Me Too movement and um, organizations that support work workplace equality for women. So that's the essential gist of this uh, first part of this story. Uh, the second part kind of deals with the nitty-gritty of CBS, which is currently undergoing a lawsuit to sort of prevent a CBS-Viacom merger, which Moonves had initially opposed. Uh, but now that merger has actually been put on hold because they settled, and uh, the National Amusements uh, Organization, which was pushing for this merger, has a promise that it will not seek a merger between the companies for the next two years. So this is kind of in, of interest for our audience because uh, the CS, CBS Viacom merger would have allowed the Star Trek franchise to be put under one house again. It's been divided by the TV divisions and the film divisions uh, for the past few years, and um, that would have allowed Paramount and CBS to sort of uh, join their franchises. But now, for now, it'll stay separate. So, Jacob, as a Star Trek fan, is your understanding that the way that the Star Trek uh, media empire is currently organized, is it is it similar to the way that Marvel Studios and Marvel TV operate independently of another of one another, or is it like, um, yeah, you know, I guess the the better question would be like, is a crossover between uh, TV and the movies and, and the J.J. Abrams first and all of that. Is that possible? Has that happened already? I've not been paying attention to Star Trek stuff for a while. Uh, it has not happened because the movies currently exist in the Kelvin timeline, which is this whole separate thing. It's unconnected to the new TV shows entirely. Uh, but the Marvel TV, Marvel Studios thing is not entirely inaccurate, but those are still under the Marvel umbrella. Right now, is it for Trek, Trek... Um, TV shows and the Trek movies are completely separate. They, they don't even share a home. They just share a franchise. It's an incredibly strange deal where the movie rights live at one company and the TV rights live somewhere else. I mean, back in the day, 
uh, you would have um, movies in the 90s starring the original series crew, and then you'd have Next Generation uh, playing, and then you'd have episodes where Next Generation crew finds a cryogenically frozen Montgomery Scott who is currently starring in the movies but making a guest appearance in the new TV show. That used to happen, and it theoretically could happen if all could sort it out in the future. Uh, but right now, it's it hasn't happened yet, and I'm very curious to see if it does. As much as I love Star Trek, it's a case where it's like, I'll talk about Star Trek and get excited about this again when Moonves is completely out the door and gone forever, and when all this is completely cleared up and people who did not hold him accountable for all these years are gone too, because it's really hard for me to get excited about crossovers and spinoffs and all that, knowing that the people who are at the top of the rung and, and you know overseeing all this have not been punished properly. Yeah, that's well said. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, so moving on to our next uh, piece of business here. A Candyman remake might be on the way from Jordan Peele. And this is sort of uh, surprising news that came out of nowhere. A report from Bloody Disgusting reports that uh, Jordan Peele is in talks to produce a remake through his Monkey Paw Productions company. But it is still unclear is if he also plans to direct this movie. So even the possibility of him directing is enough to sort of get me excited about this. Um, Candyman is a movie from 1992. It starred uh, Tony Todd as the uh, title character who is like this. Uh, it's sort of like a riff on uh, Bloody Mary, where like if you say Candyman five times into a mirror he appears and he's this guy who has like bees coming out of his mouth and he has uh, his hand has been chopped off and replaced with a bloody hook i mean it is like a classic 90s horror movie and i was scared of this film for a long long time like before i even had had the chance to watch it it was one of those that i would you know walk through a blockbuster video and see the vhs uh, box art which has this bee crawling into a person's eye and and tony todd uh, his silhouette serves as the pupil of that eye and it, you know, freaked me out a lot as a kid. So I, I would pass it and always sort of shudder when I passed it. But I, I finally got around to seeing this, like, I don't know, 15 years ago or something. And uh, I was kind of blown away by this movie. I've not revisited it in a long time, but I was shocked that the film actually has a lot to say about, like, class and race. And it, it seemed to be um, a very intelligent horror movie beyond just, like, uh, you know, a, a bloody killer kind of uh, serial killer story or something like that. Um, Jacob, I know you've seen this as well. What do you think about Jordan Peele potentially taking on a, a Candyman remake? Well, what's great about Candyman is that the whole story here is that the Candyman legend, this this horror figure, has been terrorizing the poor black communities of Chicago for, you know, God knows how long. And this um, befuddled white, anthro- uh, I think she's an anthropology professor, stumbles in into this community thinking i'm going to study this urban legend and finds out it's real and everything goes horribly wrong for her. but it's, it's so it's still this um window into this black community in this, in this black um, horror figure told through a very white lens and the movie's very good but if, but the um and very scary Tony todd is really really terrifying in it but the idea of jordan peele a incredibly talented genre filmmaker i mean get out is my favorite movie of last year uh taking this racially tinged story and maybe offering a perspective that we haven't seen before, and maybe offering the personal touch that we saw in Get Out for somebody who's not afraid to really get down and dirty uh, with the racial politics of horror, that is really exciting. Uh, that is something I really want to see, and it makes the idea of a Candyman remake actually sound worthwhile instead of like a cash-in. Yeah, for sure. And this is based on a Clive Barker short story, and we actually have a, a list of a ranking of every Clive Barker movie, so I'll put that in the show notes for anybody who's interested. Uh, one thing I, I do want to say about this is I hope that they 
make the decision if they if this does go forward to actually use real bees like practical bees because that's what they did in 1992 cg wasn't to the point where they could get away with having a, a nicholas cage in the wicker man levels of uh of bees there so i really hope that they go they go back to practical for that because the difference i mean it, it's the the tactile nature of that is so uh palpable and, and so um i mean it, it makes a huge difference knowing that there's actual bees crawling around on a person's face instead of seeing, you know, just a CG swarm or something. So, uh, you know, hopefully they're listening and they know, they know what to do there. Um, <laughs> one of you our... hear that Jordan Peele? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. Long time listener of the podcast, Jordan Peele. Uh, so the, the last news story that I wanted to mention is, um, Brooklyn nine, nine has an increased episode order. Jacob, I know you're a big fan of this show. Tell us what's going on. Yeah, this is really exciting news. Uh, as, as we've reported before, uh, Brooklyn Nine-Nine was canceled at Fox, very quickly revived at NBC, and given a 13-episode order for early next year. And now NBC has bumped the order up to 18 episodes, which to me is a sign of confidence, a sign that this isn't just a let's wait and see what happens situation, but a sign of, yeah, Brooklyn Nine-Nine is here to stay. And that is so great to hear. I mean, this show is consistently great, consistently funny, and I feel like NBC is a better home for it. I mean, the, the network to browse the office and 30 Rock and Community – that's, that's the right place for Brooklyn Nine-Nine, not Fox, in my opinion. Uh, HD, you're a fan of the show, right? I want to hear your thoughts. Yeah, I'm a huge fan. I'm very happy that it seems to have settled at NBC and they're uh, putting a lot of faith in it, especially with it being residing next to the other Mike Schur shows, such as The Good Place. Uh, so this is uh, exciting, and I hope that we see more of the uh, Brooklyn Nine-Nine crew, just because they seem they also seem very happy to be there as well. If you just see like Terry Crews after the, um, the events of them, being picked up he just was very happy about a potential paycheck uh, raise and everything so i'm excited <laughs> for them i'm excited for more stories um that are just it's good comedy that doesn't punch down and it's just very warm-hearted and good-hearted uh comedy i have not seen the show yet i really need to get around to it because it sounds like from everything you guys have said that i would absolutely love it so i'm, I'm definitely going to be checking this out but i want to step into peter soretta's shoes for a second and play devil's advocate something he loves to do on this podcast um I, i'm looking now at the episode counts and i wonder if you guys think like okay so with comedies especially network comedies I feel like there's the risk of overstaying your welcome uh, in a particular season. Like, is there any way that adding more episodes to the season could actually hurt the show? Because as somebody who watched, like, The Mindy Project, for example, for years, like, when that show got picked up to Hulu for season four, it moved from Fox to Hulu, and Hulu gave it a 26-episode fourth season that is way too many episodes for <laughs> just a, a fluffy nothing little comedy that has fun characters but you know th there's there's no no reason for a show to, like that to have 26 episodes in a season so do you guys is there any apprehension there of like this higher episode count potentially being a bad thing well, this is actually a shorter episode count than what they had when they were at Fox. I think they were they're 22 and 23 episodes uh, with each each of the last five seasons. So it's not something that Brooklyn Nine-Nine hasn't handled before, and they've handled it with panache. And again, they're a very character-driven drama, uh, sorry, character-driven comedy as well. Uh, the funny situations kind of arise organically out of um, these really great characters that you just love to spend time with. So I'm not worried with them. I really trust the writers, and I think that I just want to spend more time with um, these characters as much as possible. Yeah, this is, it seems like maybe this is a silly observation, but the cast of Brooklyn Nine-Nine, the, the, the core cast of characters, there's like maybe eight to ten people who are regularly popping up every episode. 
and they're all so well defined and clearly drawn five seasons in. I mean, season five was the best season so far, and that's, you know, that's crazy for a show to be on that long and still be that good. But you can take any two characters from, from this show, give them an A plot, and it will rock. It will be funny, and it will work. So the idea is that you can, if you have 18 episodes, just try out different character combinations and see what's sick and see what doesn't, and just play around with this cast and this ensemble and divide them up in different ways. There's so much you can do because just dividing them up by various combinations is going to result in a funny thing no matter what. Awesome. All right, I think that's going to bring us to the end of the news portion. Uh, HT, I think we're going to leave you here, and then we're going to join up with Chris in just a second. So where can people find more of your work online? You can find me every day at SlashFilm.com, and I'm on Twitter at HTranBui. All right, for our feature presentation, we are bringing on Chris Evangelista from Toronto to talk to us about uh, what he's been seeing at the Toronto International Film Festival. Chris, what's going on? Hi, everyone. Uh, not much. I'm, I'm, I've been running around. Uh, this is my technically my last day. I'm leaving tomorrow, so uh, it, it's been a busy uh, few five days here. And you're joining us from a, a hotel lobby, is that right? <laughs> Uh, I'm actually I'm a, I'm in a hotel suite. It is the Netflix suite as I'm waiting for my next screening, which is a Netflix film, and uh, it, it's a it's a very fancy hotel because they put stars in here. Because right now there's um there's like a press conference going on and Lady Gaga is in there, so she's like a few feet away from me. So it's it's a little surreal, especially <laughs> because I'm staying at like a a low rent Airbnb. So I come from there to here to this very glittery hotel. <laughs> awesome. So, Jacob, you've been doing a lot of the uh, the editing and, and things like that of uh, Chris's coverage, so I feel like you have a better sense of the scope of this festival. Do you have any specific questions for Chris other than just, like, how is the festival going so far? Uh, yeah, um, I'll go ahead and start. Is A Star is Born as good as everybody says it is? It's, it's very good. I don't think it's as... Uh, I, I've seen some reviews that kind of hail it as like the the second coming of jesus and i don't know if i'd I'd go that far but it's good it's a very well-made well-acted film i mean lady gaga is is really really good in it i'm not i'm not like a huge fan of her music or anything but she's a notice how i whispered that because i was afraid she would hear me um (laughs) uh, but uh uh, she's phenomenal in the film and her singing in the film is is incredible like i always kind of forget that she's such a amazing singer but she uh She's got them pipes, as they say. <laughs> Bradley Cooper's direction. I mean, this is his first movie behind the camera. Does he have those uh, first-time filmmaker tendencies, or is the fact that he's worked with enough big names maybe have leaked into him to make him a better talent? He does mostly a really, really good job. Um, he's a little too fond of close-ups for my liking. There's a lot of close-ups, and I, I wish he would pull the camera back a little bit here and there, but he's he, he does a really good job at capturing like the electric feeling of like a a live concert like you feel like you're really there you feel like you're in this exciting live music moment so he's he's really good at at capturing that and he's really good at the the big character moments so you know the fact that this is his first directorial feature is is very impressive so chris one of the movies that i know you're really excited to see at tiff is the new halloween film uh what did you think about that one it was good um so, so it's hard to talk about this because there's a, there's something I really hate about the movie and it's a spoiler so I can't really like go into details but there's there's I said this in my review too there's one plot point involving the new doctor character who's taken over for Dr. Loomis Michael Myers psychiatrist and there's a, there's a, a running plot line with him that is so bad that I, I was shocked it was in the movie but 
once you get beyond that, it's, it's a lot of fun. I mean, if you're, if you're hoping for, you know, the slow, icy chills of John Carpenter's original, you're not going to get that because that's not what this movie is. But if you're in the mood for a surprisingly brutal slasher movie and a very well-made one at that, you're going to, you're going to have a lot of fun with this. It's uh, one of the things this movie does really well is it actually makes Michael Myers scary again. Uh, He's, he's so, he's like an unstoppable, like, killing force in this and he doesn't just kill people he obliterates them he's just constantly like slamming people through walls and and snapping necks and ripping jaws off (laughs) and it's 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 it's, it and like i'm not a i'm not a squeamish guy but even me even as i was watching this i was like jesus this is this is exceptionally brutal so and that brutality just makes the character really really scary he's because he's just he's just constantly on the move constantly killing people so um, and you know, I saw it at the Midnight Madness screening, which I think helped a lot because the audience ate it up. They went like you know ape shit for it. So uh, I would recommend seeing this with a very um, in tuned audience, and you're, you're going to have fun with it. Uh, speaking of people being destroyed, I hear Destroyer is your favorite film of the fest so far. Is that correct? It is, and I'm a little um, surprised because last night I was talking to some people, and I found out that a lot of people don't actually like this movie. I'm I'm not in the minority because it has good reviews, but uh, I, I was blown away by this and a lot of people seem to have problems with it, but for me, it, it really did the trick. It's the, um, it's the latest film from Karen Kusama who directed, uh, the invitation, which is a fantastic, um, slow burn horror film. And it stars Nicole Kidman as a, uh, she's a detective and she's trying to track down this criminal from her past. And it, it's this really interesting blend of like character study and crime thriller, which I really haven't seen in a while and it's exceptionally well done nicole kidman i mean th- every time i write a review about a movie with nicole kidman i feel like an idiot being like by the way nicole kidman is great in this movie because <laughs> i feel like everyone everyone knows that by now but she is she is really good in this and karen kusama's direction is is phenomenal I, I i she's quickly becoming one of my favorite filmmakers she does such a great job capturing just this this oppressive menacing atmosphere of this movie so i I, re- I really loved it it is it is as of now um my favorite of the fest but uh it's up there with i think like my second favorite would be burning which is really really good and i saw if beale street could talk this morning the barry jenkins movie and that is uh incredible it's it's emotional it's incredibly well directed barry jenkins is um uh, unstoppable as far as I'm concerned at this point. You also saw the new Steve McQueen movie, Widows, which seems like a, a major left turn for the guy who made 12 Years a Slave. Uh, how, how different is it? How accessible is it? It's, I mean, I guess you would probably call it his most accessible movie to date, but uh, I will say the trailers are selling the movie wrong. Like, they're selling it as sort of like, you know, this heist thriller, which it is. You know, it does have heist thriller elements, but there's a lot more going on in the movie than the, the trailers are letting on. And I won't say too much because I feel like this is one of those movies, the less you know, the, the more incredible it is. But um, this was great. This, I mean, the, you know, Steve McQueen does a really good job with all these characters. It's really like an ensemble piece because there are so many characters in this movie, not just the widows themselves, but all the people they're interacting with, you know, all the bad guys and all the cops and all these other characters. And, uh, the movie takes time to like focus on every single one of them. Like no one really gets left out. So it's really this interesting ensemble piece that again, 
I think the trailers are doing a really <laughs> shitty job of selling. So if you if you saw the trailer for this and thought, oh, that, that doesn't look as good as I thought it would be, trust me, it's it's a really really incredible film so chris a lot of the things that you've talked about so far it sounds like you've enjoyed them quite a bit have there been any big disappointments for you so far uh the biggest disappointment was outlaw king which was the the opening night film here um it's 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 the new netflix film uh about robert the bruce who if anyone has seen braveheart they'll remember him as a a figure in that film he was played by angus mcfadden in that film here he's played by chris pine and it's all about how Robert the Bruce, you know, went up against England to try and take control of Scotland. And I don't, I don't know what happened with this because it's from the, the director of Hell and Hell or High Water, which I liked. But this is just, it's really bland, and it shouldn't be because it's telling this exciting story, and it's also, it's like unrelentingly violent. Like it, it goes through this pattern where there'll be a long scene where characters just stand around in, you know castles or the woods talking and then it, it breaks out into huge gory violence and by the end of the film like the, the final battle is so over the top gory that it just wore me down and i was just like i'm i'm ready for this to be over i'm not i'm not enjoying this also a lot of like horses get killed and i don't have problems with people getting killed in movies but i, I draw the line at uh animals so stop it outlaw king stop so, killing all these horses <laughs> i feel like i would be derelict in my duties if i did not ask you about chris pine hanging dong in this movie that seems to be all twitter's talking about is that does that actually happen it does and it it happens in, in such a nonchalant way where he's there's a scene where he's just he's taking a, a bath in a river and he just stands up and he you know he's he's all out he's all out there and he just keeps he keeps chatting it up with his men while he's just totally nude and it's very casual and um I, I could feel the uh the entire audience just suddenly snap out of their collective uh comas when this scene kicked in awesome uh so yeah i just had to get the get the confirmation there from somebody on the ground um jacob i know i have one or two other movies that i want to ask chris about but did you have anything else you were curious about yeah i want to know why chris hates first man so much why do you hate first man chris <laughs> all right so first man, I don't, I don't hate it, but, uh, this film, it premiered at Venice and it got ecstatic reviews there. So I was excited for it. And I like Damien Chazelle. I, I think whiplash is phenomenal. And I even like La La Land. I know a lot of people have sort of turned against that movie, but I, I think it's good. So I went into this with high hopes and it's really, it's a very, <sighs> so, uh, there are a lot of good things in it. It's technically very good. The, the, the way it's directed is interesting. Although again, like Star is Born, there are way too many close-ups. Um, but Ryan Gosling is great. Uh, Claire Four, Claire Foy is great, but the whole movie is very, it's very reserved. And at the same time, that's intentional because it's telling the story about how Neil Armstrong was this really emotionally repressed guy. Like that was his whole thing. He was just very bad at showing emotion. And as a result, the movie is bad at showing emotion and I get why they're doing that. Like it's, it's a stylistic choice to represent his mindset, but it doesn't work. It's really, cause it's all this exciting stuff. He's blasting off into space and it's so like blase. They're like, yep, he did that. <laughs> and the, but I will say the, the finale where they get to the moon, spoiler alert, he lands on the moon. Um, that is, is incredible. And that sort of saved the movie for me. Like I was ready to just give it a straight up, negative review until this entire moon landing sequence, which is really powerful and really 
visually stunning. Like the, the, the scene kicks into full IMAX here and you just see like the scope of just being on the moon. It, it's, it's really impressive. And um, I will add, you do actually see the flag on the moon. So good work everyone with that, that nothing controversy. <laughs> uh, all right. So the two that I had left to ask you about Chris are Vox Lux. Uh, well, that's the first one. Tell me about that. The not, uh, new Natalie Portman movie. Vox Lux is, it's weird. It's a, it's a Brady Corbett movie. Um, he directed uh, a really great uh, under-the-radar film called The Childhood of a Leader. I think it was from last year or two years ago. And that I loved. So I was looking forward to this. And this movie, it, it's two movies in one. So the first half is all about this, this girl becoming a pop star. And then the second half is about her later in her career. And, that's, and so the first half is really good. And then the second half isn't. And that sucks because the second half is when natalie portman shows up and i I love natalie portman i I think she's a great actress but she just she's not right for this film and i remember at one point rooney mara was supposed to play this part and i kind of wonder if the film would be a lot better with her in the role because it seems like something she would play differently and better but it's not a bad movie it's just very strange in a lot of ways it's like the anti a star is born because it's all about how you know fame just basically sucks your soul dry and stuff like that so it has a lot of interesting stuff in it but it was not as good as i was hoping it would be that is unfortunate and the final one that i'm very curious about is the sisters brothers uh this one i hadn't really even heard about until i don't know i feel like a couple weeks ago and um now it's suddenly become you know one of my most anticipated movies of the year just because it has such a good cast does this one live up to uh the the potential of the people involved in it Oh yes, definitely. I, I love this movie. It's it's a uh, it's this very um, melancholy anti-western about these two brothers who are hired killers, and it, it nothing in this movie plays out the way you expect it to. And it's it's this really dreamy, sort of surreal film, which I was not expect. I was expecting more like a like a Coen Brothers western, you know, sort of like, you know, Oh Brother, Where Art There, which I know isn't a western, but I was expecting something like that. And that's not really what this is. It's more, it's more about just like, just like sadness and longing for like home and stuff like that. And it, it, it caught me completely off guard. It's a, it's a, it's a, a sweet, lovely, and also very dark movie. It like blends the darkness and the light really well. So I, w- I would put this on your radar if you don't know about it. Yeah, and that one stars John C. Riley, Joaquin Phoenix, Riz Ahmed, and Jake Gyllenhaal. So, um, that, yeah, that's a pretty stellar cast there. Uh, Chris, I guess it's, it's probably time for us to get close to wrapping this up, but I, I want to know, like, what do you think about this festival this year compared to other years that you've been? Oh, what's the vibe there? I got to say, I'm a little... Well, uh, this festival is not... This year is not as, as, as good as the other years I've attended. I mean, I, I'm not going you know, to say it's bad, but... The, the the scheduling has been a little strange, which is like insider baseball stuff, which I know no one else cares about except me because I'm here on the ground. But <laughs> the scheduling is very weird and it's making it hard to see as much stuff as I was hoping for. So that's frustrating me a bit. And the lineup is, while good, uh, there's there's only like one or two or maybe three films I've seen this year that I think are genuinely like great, like capital G great. And in other years, I had a lot more than that. So... But, you know, it's not over yet. I have a few more screenings today, so we'll see how it goes. I know you're in a hurry. I know you're in a hurry, Chris, but um, I want to list off a few movies you've seen. I think our listeners may want to hear about. You have one sentence per movie to explain your thoughts. Okay. Okay. Yes. Uh, The Predator. Uh, 
stupid but entertaining. Uh, the front runner. A, a generic biopic with very good acting and little else. White boy Rick. Uh, again, a generic movie with good acting and little else. It's it's pretty much like the same thing as the front runner, where the cast uh, is great but the story is bland. Jeremiah Terminator Leroy. Uh, I just got out of that and I'm I'm disappointed with that. I'm sad to say because I love everyone in it. I love Kristen Stewart. I love Laura Dern, but. The movie is just, it's really poorly made. It's, it's, it's like someone's first first indie feature, and it looks like that. So I, I was a little disappointed with that. Right. I just want to point out that Chris has 11 reviews written in like four days on Slashfilm.com, and we'll link to uh, those in the show notes. But you've been, a, you've been a workhorse, man. We really appreciate it. These are excellent reviews. I'm really happy to hear from you. Oh, well, my, my pleasure. Thank you. So, Chris, where can people find your work and uh, your, your musings online? Uh, you can find me at SlashFilm.com, and I'm on Twitter at CEvangelista413. Jacob? And I'm on SlashFilm.com, and I'm on Twitter where I'm at Jacob S. Hall. You can find me at SlashFilm.com as well, and I'm on Twitter at Ben Pears. You can find more about all the stories we mentioned on today's show at SlashFilm.com and linked inside the show notes of this episode. SlashFilm Daily is published every weekday, bringing you the most exciting news from the world of movies and TV, as well as deeper dives into the great features you can find at SlashFilm.com. You can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Google Play, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps, and we actually also publish the episodes on SlashFilm.com, so you can listen to it directly there if you want to. Send your feedback, questions, comments, and concerns to us at Peter at SlashFilm.com, and please be sure to leave your name and general geographic location in case we mention your email on the air don't forget to rate and review the podcast on itunes tell your friends and spread the word and we'll talk to you tomorrow